There are a lot of uh, symbols in uh, Leviticus chapter 14 as we're dealing with uh, now the cleansing of leprosy. So we've talked about leprosy and its symbolism as far as reflecting, uh, you know, sin in a person's life. We talked about uh, the deadness that occurs because of sin, the insensitivity that occurs because of sin and the way that it leads us into uh, greater and greater destruction because of the flesh. You know, the, the leprosy being the skin, you know, is the most obvious sign is the outward uh, you know, dying of the skin and the flesh. Uh, whereas the problem is actually the interior nervous system, which is dying and uh, being affected. But the outward sign of the decomposition of the flesh is the thing that's uh, most obvious to everyone that's seeing that. So now, if a person is healed, we come to the discussion of, you know, especially ceremonially, how they are uh, to go through the practice of being uh, cleansed. But, uh, you know, with the symbolism of leprosy equaling sin, now we are going to examine the cleansing and the symbolisms uh, that are here in Leviticus 14, and they're quite extensive. So uh, 14, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. Uh, he shall be brought to the priest. Before we move on, um, there is some question as to whether any lepers had been cleansed prior to Jesus coming. Uh, you know, we have uh, the account we're going to talk about with Naaman, but Naaman was not an Israelite. Uh, he was a Syrian, and uh, he didn't go to the priests for cleansing. So it's possible. Uh, we don't have any biblical record of people being cleansed of leprosy and going to the priests. All of this law is established on the books for them to follow as a guideline, but perhaps uh, what occurred was that the lepers started being cleansed by Jesus. They start going to the priests, and it's this powerful testimony to the priesthood about the power of Jesus Christ uh, to deliver uh, Israel, in particular, from their sin. You know, yes, the physical ailment of leprosy, but you'll recall uh, that Jesus. Uh, or John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So uh, you know, Jesus came to conquer uh, sin. So here, the day of his cleansing may be the day of Jesus' ministry that's being referred to. But either way, uh, he's to go to the priest. Verse 3, the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him because the, the lepers were not allowed to be in public or in contact with other people. So the priest was to go outside the camp. The priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop. So there's your list. Uh, two clean living birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. We'll examine some things there. Uh, if you're a note taker, you're probably just going to want to write down the, the passages because I'm going to try to go through a number of them here in this chapter. Luke chapter 3, verse 22, speaking of the clean birds as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus, and a voice came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So within this cleansing, the clean birds, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, cedar wood, a symbol of the tree that Jesus died upon. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Uh, scarlet, and that is scarlet cloth that was to be involved in this cleansing, uh, a symbol of Jesus' royalty and his death also. Matthew chapter 27, verse 28 says, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. So when they were going to crucify Jesus, 
Uh, he was clothed in that scarlet robe. Hyssop is uh, listed there. It's a bitter herb, and it re represents being humbled by bitterness and sorrow. Certainly, the leper would have understood that. You know, the bitterness of his life, the, the you know, excommunication from his family and from his community and the sorrow of this slow, agonizing, decomposing death that he or she is experiencing. So it's certainly going to have that, you know, humble attitude uh, through the bitterness and sorrow of uh, their ailment. Um, Psalm 51, verse 7, when David had uh, slept with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah killed, later confronted by Nathan the prophet, uh, he repents. And in his brokenness, if you've never read Psalm uh, 51 in that light, it's a very powerful confession and seeking the Lord's uh, forgiveness and humility. A couple of verses uh, within that, Psalm 51, verse 7, David said, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. And there's some debate as to whether uh, he's talking about, uh, you know, a practice of consuming hyssop and its actual bitterness, or if, if it's more that David is saying, cleanse me through bitterness. And, and there is, there's, you know, a cleansing that occurs when we embrace the fact that uh, we are sinners and, and that our sin is exposed before God and, and we need that confession. So purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 51 verse 7. Now, continuing in Psalm 51, at verse 17, uh, from the New Living Translation, it says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So, you know, this leper that's been cleansed, uh, there's, you know, going to be a joy, but there's also that brokenness and humility and that bitterness that's, uh, you know, he's experienced now coming to the priest and going through this practice involving the two clean uh, birds and cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop. Uh, it's, it ends up being a really profound picture when we're done examining this. Uh, there's no spiritual healing for the proud. I referenced uh, Naaman. Uh, he was the commander of the Syrian army. Uh, he uh, had a Jewish girl uh, serving in his home, and he was a leper. Uh, that Jewish girl uh, basically admonished him that he should go uh, to Elisha, who was the prophet in Israel, and the prophet in Israel would cleanse him. Uh, letters are exchanged between uh, the king of Syria and the king of Israel, and Naaman ends up traveling to Israel, and when he arrives at the home of Elisha, Elisha doesn't even go outside to greet him. So he's uh, the commander of the army that's conquered uh, Israel. He's uh, the commander of the army that's conquered most of the known world by that point. And Elisha doesn't even see fit to come out and show him any respect. He just sends word out that Naaman's supposed to go down to the Jordan River and uh, dip himself, uh, you know, uh, completely underwater seven times in the Jordan River and he'll be cleansed. And Naaman is very angry uh, because in his mind, uh, he was going to go see this great seer, this great prophet, this great healer. And there was going to be some spectacular show that occurred uh, where he was healed. And, and instead, he's going to go down to this muddy little creek and deep dip himself seven times in order to be cleansed. Uh, so in Second Kings chapter 5, Beginning at verse 11, it says, But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. You know, he expects some, you know, televangelist, uh, you know, waving the sports coat uh, weirdness to go on. And there was a practice at the time where uh, the sorcerers would wave their hands in the air in particular patterns, and it was supposed to, you know, either conjure or cleanse uh, the environment uh, spiritually. And he's expecting, you know, some magical thing to occur 
like that. And, you know, what the prophet just sends his servant out and tells him, you know, go down to the river and dunk yourself in the water seven times and you'll be made well. He's really upset about that. Continues, Second Kings chapter 5, verse 12, are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Uh, now, later in that passage, he is told that he should take the opportunity to humble himself and go to the Jordan and dunk himself in the water seven times. He allows himself to be humbled, and he does that. And the scripture actually records that when he came up the seventh time, his skin was like that of a newborn babe. So perfectly healed through the humility that it takes. The bitterness is what we're focusing on here. The hyssop and the fact that uh, the humility has to come. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you encapsulate all of that so far, and you have leprosy symbolic of sin, then humility is what's required on our part. And we're going to have to subject ourselves to the royalty of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, the birds, they're symbolized, in order for us to experience whatever healing we need from our sin, which is our own leprosy. Continuing in verse fifth or 5 of Leviticus chapter 14, it says, The priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. So first to address the earthen vessel. Uh, we are earthen vessels made from the dust of the earth. We see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, where the Lord says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You know, speaking of our salvation, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, the power of God in the earthen vessel is what's going to actually cause the healing and cause uh, the restoration. There's a rabbit trail in this for you students of the scripture. Uh, it is the light spoken of here, in the broken vessels, the broken earthen vessels that gave Gideon his victory over the Midianites. So there's something to consider in that for yourself as a believer in the way the Lord works in our lives. Uh, verse 6 of Leviticus 14, as for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Now, John chapter 7, beginning at verse 37, says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, running water. Uh, so, you know, this bird killed over uh, running water, uh, the Holy Spirit again, uh, the work of the Lord, uh, Jesus, the earthen vessel, we'll talk about that in just a second, killed, uh, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You think about how many times, especially in the book of Matthew, you're seeing Jesus move towards that crucifixion in the scripture saying, Matthew's recording, you know, all of this was done to fulfill the scripture. This was done that the scripture might be fulfilled. All of this was the plan of God. So nothing 
that occurred to Jesus, his torment, his beatings, his crucifixion was an accident or outside God's plan. That was all the movement of the Holy Spirit that was occurring. So in Leviticus 14, verse 7, he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean. He shall let the living bird loose in the open field. And the blood of the bird killed in the earthen vessel sprinkled upon the second bird and the man who's been cleansed. The living bird is set free. The symbol of the salvation that has come to the leper through the blood of the bird killed inside the earthen vessel with the wooden stake, the cedar wood that was there. So we'll examine that in a little more detail here in a moment. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus Christ's blood shed upon us. The beautiful picture of salvation. You know, I, I wonder, you know, it, how much, even to this day, those that are Orthodox Jew examine a sacrifice such as this and have any grasp of what's recorded here. You know, the picture of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. You know, a summary, God himself entered an earthen vessel, a human body became Jesus to die in that earthen vessel that his blood would set us free from sin. Here represented by leprosy and the dying sinful flesh of humanity. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 6, New Living Translation says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's quite a summary of Jesus in an earthen vessel being killed and his blood shed uh, for others. Continuing, and I'm rushing along because I literally have eight pages of notes here, so we'll try to get through this. Uh, again, uh, Leviticus 14, verse 8. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that... He shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all the hair of his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair shall be shaved off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You shave off your beard and your your hair, uh, gentlemen, and your eyebrows. Uh, you know you're you're returning to zero. You know you gotta you gotta start again forward. It's a symbol of new birth. It's a symbol of starting over, and especially uh, for the Jews. Uh, you know, again, those of us that you know, study, especially the Old Testament, intently. Remember that occasion where you have the representatives of Israel who have been mocked uh, by their enemies and they shave half of their beards off so that you know half of their face is clean shaven as a symbol of humbling them, a symbol of humiliating them. It's, it's such a humbling thing that David tells the men, you don't have to travel any further. You certainly don't need to come home. Stay there until your beards have grown out. You know, for uh, the men, especially in this culture, uh, shaving your head, shaving your beard, shaving your eyebrows off uh, is a thing uh, uh, you're showing everyone publicly how humiliated and how humbled you have been. If, if you've gone through uh, having leprosy, I mean, this is the least of your concerns in humbling yourself. You know, some of us know exactly 
what's being referenced here. We've been so sinful that when it comes to humbling ourselves in front of you know, our brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, and sharing with people what the Lord has done to deliver us from our sinfulness, that uh, you know, we will bear our soul uh, unashamedly. And, and it makes people uncomfortable. You know, I mean, it would be uncomfortable if, if you know, I showed up here uh, next week, no beard, no hair, no eyebrows. You, you, I mean, you would be weirded out by that. And so it is when a person who's had a wretched, you know, all controlling sin in their life has been delivered from that. And then they stand up and just openly declare Christ has set me free from this. You know, that type of humility, that type of honesty, laying things bare like that can can really be disturbing. Uh, But at the same time, it's a challenging thing to all of us to recognize our own need uh, that that we are, you know, as much a sinner, as much a leper, as much in need of that level of honesty and openness in order to know the Lord the way that we should. Continuing with that idea of a new creation, a new starting, uh, you know, the new beginning for us is being born again. You know, baptized into Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Whatever I was previously, the old man, the old hairstyle, the old beard, that's gone. Now, what you see today is Jesus, a reflection of him, hopefully. Now, in verse 10, it says, On the eighth day, and I underlined that, he shall. Take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour with with oil as a grain offering and one log, that's a measurement of liquid, and one log of oil. Then the priest shall make him clean, shall present the man who is to be made clean, and though and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. Uh, For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass Offering, it is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and note this, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil, pour it in the palm of his left hand, and the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord and the rest of the oil in his hand. The priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right hand, on on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. So the blood of the the lamb sacrifice, obviously symbolic of Jesus Christ's shed blood. The oil, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We see multiple occasions in the scripture where that's referenced. We see in the New Testament that when people are sick or people are going to be entering into offices of service to the Lord, they're to be anointed with oil, which is a symbol, again, of the Holy Spirit. What's most interesting to me in this whole sacrificial process, you know, we've already been through why the burnt offering, why, uh, you know, do we have the sin offering given? How are these things uh, prepared? What's most interesting to me is this is very reflective of the consecration of Aaron and his sons the day that they became priests. We don't see the application of the blood upon the ear and the oil upon the ear and the thumb and the toe, except for the priests. 
the explanation is that the ear of the priest, the hearing, should be attuned to the Lord. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, that the work of his hands, you know, the, the opposing thumb is the symbol of the human being. This is one of the things that makes us so dexterous, so much different than the animal kingdom. You know, most of the animal kingdom, all of their digits only work one direction. We have the opposing thumb for grip. This makes us so much more agile than the rest of the kingdom. Our function, our work should be anointed by the Lord. Our walk, David saying, you know, the word of God will be, you know, a lamp under our feet, a light under our path. Our very steps governed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here is a man who's not a person who is not of the priesthood, but the deliverance from death is so powerful that they have to take on the very practice symbols and anointing that the priests go through, even the oil and the blood sprinkled upon them. Well, when we've been delivered, there's an obligation for us to declare that deliverance to the world, what the Lord has done and is doing in us. Very, very significant. Those of us that have had this type of experience with the Lord, these are easy symbols for us to understand. Here again, Leviticus chapter 8, where the priests are anointed. Moses killed the offering. Also, he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear and the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's son and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hand, and the big toes of their right foot. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar, making them priests. The consecration, you know, I say symbolically, these men and women delivered from leprosy are being made priests to God. They have a role to serve and a message to preach to the world that may experience, I mean, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to run into somebody and say, wait a minute, weren't you a leper? <laughs> you know, I've shared with you before, we've had three occasions where people came to this church just to make sure that I was the same will cast they knew years ago. You know, one of them actually came and said, I just had to come and see if my dealer was actually a preacher now. Got to experience the deliverance. Got to see what the Lord has done in someone's life. It is a testimony. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. Jesus has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is our obligation. When we've been set free by Jesus, we should then become his ministers. Now, with that, I want to just take us uh, to a couple of locations in that idea. Mark chapter 5, uh, Jesus meets the man at the Gadarean tombs, and he's, you know, demon-possessed, and there's that confrontation, and, you know, he declares himself to be a legion, for he is many, and Jesus casts the demon out, and it goes into the swine, and the swine, the pigs run down and drown themselves in uh, the Sea of Galilee, and, uh, you know, uh, Jesus uh, there, when he's done ministering to the man who's now clothed and in his right mind, Mark chapter 5, verse 18, it says, when he, meaning Jesus, got into the boat, he, who had been demon-possessed, begged him that he might be with him, go with him, stay with him, become a disciple. I want to be your follower, is what he's asking. Verse 19 However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, significant, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And that's going to be very detailed, doesn't it? A guy that was capable of breaking chains when they would put him in fetters. A guy that was living in tombs. There's going to be some nightmarish post-traumatic dress disorder involved with having lived that way forever long he did. A guy who has multiple demons 
inside his heart, soul, and mind, tormenting him day to day. Now he's been delivered. Now go tell your friends everything that the Lord has done for you. That's going to be some scary stories at times when that man has to share the testimony of what the work of the Lord was and how he had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. You know, if you're following along, you might want to write that down. All that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. In Decapolis. Now, the people, right, that are in this region are also present as this man is saying, I want to be your disciple. I want to go with you. And Jesus is saying, no, go home and tell everybody what I've done for you. And the people of the region are begging Jesus to go away. They don't want anything to do with him. So the people of Decapolis, which is a huge region, right? Uh, it means a, a region of ten cities. You, know, you can hear the Deca in the Decapolis, right? So, so this is a big region where this man ministers, and they all want nothing to do with Jesus. Because all Jesus does is ruin their economy, right? They're, they're, they're you know, raising pigs, and suddenly their whole you know, cash crop goes down into the ocean and kills itself. So they're begging him to go away at that time. You turn you know, back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, and it says, Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Why are there throngs of thousands of people that are now following Jesus from Decapolis? Because there was a demon-possessed man who had been delivered by Jesus Christ who's now preaching amongst them the work of Jesus Christ and his power. We need to allow the Lord to express his voice through us in what he has done for us. Back in Leviticus chapter 14, looking at verse 19. Then the priests shall offer... The sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. Uh, that's important. You know, I, I wonder, you know, was the uh, leprous person, you know, months after they'd been uh, delivered did they wake up in the middle of the night ever in a panic you know some itch on their skin and they've got to get a candle lit they've got to get a lamp lit and take a close examination and see have i actually been cleansed am i do i have leprosy again is this starting all over there's a thing that occurs in our heart and mind when we have so terrible a sin in our lives that even after we've been delivered, there's sort of a, re a residual thought in our heads of, am I really clean? Am I, have I really been cleansed by Jesus Christ? The leper doesn't get to ask that question. Listen, the priest asks that question. And the priest is the one who gives the answer. The priest is the one who goes the process, and in the end, the priest is the one who says, you're clean. I'm making no reference to myself. We have one high priest, Jesus Christ, and he's declared in his word whether we are clean or not. It's not our opinion, right? It's not my opinion of you. It's not your opinion of me. It's not what we think of ourselves. It's what Christ says about us repeatedly through the scripture. You consider you know, the Lord's work and what it is that he has to say. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Be zealous for good works. Be anxious to do the work and the will of the Lord with your life. That's what the Lord is asking us to do when we've been delivered by him. Now, beginning in verse 21, it says, but if he is poor and cannot afford it, pause right there for a moment. 
within Christianity, the health, wealth, and prosperity movement is false. Okay, it's big. There's lots of teachers. There's lots of people saying all kinds of stuff. They get huge funding and massive television programs. But there will be poor Christians. There will be sick Christians. Uh, make no mistake. You can't make yourself any different than what life circumstances provide for you. Right? If you have been provided the ability to be incredibly wealthy, praise God. If you have been provided the opportunity to be completely impoverished, praise God. The Lord is the one who orchestrates our circumstances. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 8, for the poor you have with you always. Right? If, if it was somehow a sin, somehow wrong, somehow something that Jesus forbid for us, right? He would not have said that. He, he would have said, well, some of you used to be poor, but now that you're Christians, you're not. He's making the declaration that, you know, they're all different types of experience as far as believers go. You know, our, our makeup, our circumstances uh, play a lot in all of these different roles. Continuing there at verse 21, but if the poor, but if he is poor and cannot afford it, the lambs, the full sacrifice that was described previously, then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived and make atonement for him. One-tenth of an ephah of flour, a fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a log of oil and two turtle doves or two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford. One shall be a sin offering, the other a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Now, a couple of things there. Uh, you do have to invest. Even if you're poor of time, poor of finances, poor in whatever resources we're talking about, you do have to invest in your faith. Uh, the Lord doesn't say if you're poor, then don't worry about any of this. The Lord says if you're poor, then you need to be able to give what you can. And then guess what? He's the one who sets the standard. He's the one who says this is what I want you to give. So we need to be careful to listen to the Lord and use our resources, you know, our emotional, spiritual, physical, financial resources need to be used for the Lord. All of those things were being wasted on our sinful behavior previous to being delivered by him. Once delivered by him, then our heart needs to shift over to cooperation with him and needs to follow his mandate. Now that statement in verse 23, he shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day. So that would be the first day of the new week, right? Seven days within the week, you go through the last day. The eighth day, that's the day Jesus Christ rose. The eighth day, we might say. The day, the first day of the new week. You know, if you look at what the scripture records, for us who you know follow the idea that the Lord said, you know, a thousand years is but a day, a day is but a thousand years, and then you look at what's recorded in the scripture, and you have roughly 6,000 years that this earth has been through from creation and Adam to where we are today. I know that flies in the face of evolution and all that, you know, non-Christian belief systems, you know, promote and, and hold to. But uh, the scripture is very clear about the timeline that has transpired according to the Bible. 6,000 years, roughly 1,000 years is but a day. So if we take that into light, God has been through six days of creation. Now consider the scripture says that Jesus Christ will reign on the earth for a thousand years. According to that math, that's one day. When Jesus Christ reigns on this earth, that'll be the Sabbath day of rest for this earth. Then all things will come to an end. Satan will be released briefly, a cataclysmic war between the armies of heaven and Satan and his followers, and then the final judgment and the destruction of this earth 
and creation. You can see in Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there were no more seas. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words that are true and faithful. The new creation, the seven days past, and now the new week, or the new eternity, the eighth day, the beginning of that new, but we're children of the new day. We're children of the new creation. That's what we're looking forward to. This person that's had this leprosy is to bring his sacrifice and to present it before the Lord on the new day, the new week. 1424. The priest shall take the lamb, the trespass offering, the log of oil. The priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb and the trespass offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering put on the tip of the right ear. So before we heard the command, now we're hearing what the actual practice is to be. On the thumb of the right hand, on the big toe of the foot, the priest shall pour some of the oil on the palm of his left hand. The priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand. Seven times before the Lord, the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed. On the thumb of the right hand, on the big toe of his right foot, on the place of the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the hand, the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves or young pigeons, such as he can afford, such as he is able to afford, and one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering, with a grain offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for one who had leprous sores, who cannot afford the usual cleansing. So like the leper, we were as good as dead in our sins. Uh, the scripture records Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins. No matter our situation in life, God accepts us. Poor, rich whatever it may be. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, There is no partiality with God. So whatever our condition, uh, that's important to realize. Yeah, there's something that happens in our hearts. You know, either we weren't that bad a person when we came to the Lord and now we're a Christian and we're in church, or maybe we were some wretched soul, but the Lord's done a great work. And we get thinking of ourselves better than we ought to think. And now here comes the next sinful leper who's just so disgusting. And as they come into our midst, we turn up our noses. We think ourselves better than them. Consider Consider where you came from. Because if you're even of the mindset of, oh, I wasn't that bad a person. You know, I was raised in a good home. I went to school. I didn't wander off into all that nonsense. I, you know, got married, had kids, had a job. I, I've never been that way. Well, then what you are is deceived. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we were all destined for hell. Christ redeemed every single one of us, right? You know, I often joke about, you know, when we had all the chairs set up and the, wanting to sit in the back, you know, you can more rate it like the school bus, can't you, right? Uh, it's uh, Bob Coy years ago that said, look, we were all bozos. Forgive Bob's crassness, but he said, we were all bozos 
on the bus bound for hell, flipping everybody the bird as we went along. Whether we were sitting in the front of the bus as good, well-behaved students or in the back of the bus raising cane, we were all headed for the same place. Christ delivered us. Christ delivered us, and we need to have that mindset. God doesn't show any partiality, and neither should we. So i got to get through the rest of the chapter. we got 15 minutes, so here we go. 1433, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you have come into the house in the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and examine the house, and he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrain streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut the house seven days. The priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague is spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around, and the dust they scrape off, they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of which those stones, and they shall take other mortar and plaster the house. You might think of this as like mold or fungus. This isn't, you know, the same leprosy described in a human being. They, they had a very broad spectrum of what was meant by, you know, plague of leprosy. Here, when you've got a growth, a spreading growth in a home, in the walls, then this is the practice that they were to undertake. You know, remove the portion, scrape everything else down, let it lie stagnant for a period of time and see if it continues to spread. In verse 43, now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an active leprosy in the house. It is unclean, and he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all, while it is shut up, he shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. So the idea of there, if there's any potential for it to get inside a person. So this is a basic sanitary law to keep the people from getting sick. The house isn't so much the concern it's the occupants of the house. So while this could potentially affect them, they want to make sure that this plague, as it's being described, isn't spreading. There's a spiritual application, and we'll get to that. Verse 48, But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. And they've taken out the portion of the wall and rebuilt it and replastered everything and no returning, uh, you know, leprous plague, fungus, um, you know, growth. Then it's declared healed and clean. And he shall take a clean to cleanse the house, two birds, cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop. So the same practice and he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water and he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet, 
the living bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water and sprinkle the house seven times. He shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water, the living bird, the cedar with the hyssop and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field to make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. So this is a physical defilement, as we said, disease or infection in the structure. Now, some try to create a defilement of locations or structures, a concern. Consider like Amityville Horror, for instance, or the haunted house. I've heard this so many times. I mean, the world thinks this way, fine, whatever. It's amazing to me how Christianity gets thinking this way. If you're, if you're thinking, I'm going down a rabbit trail, you've never gone down. I've heard many Christians talk about, oh, I went home to visit my relatives in oh, that city. It's just such a dark place. Really? I mean, is it? Is it any darker than where we are currently? The world is wicked. People will say things to me because we're involved in helping people with drug addiction. They'll say things to me like, oh, it's so much worse down here in our big city. And honestly, it's not. You know, Washington County has one of the highest rates of heroin use per capita in the United States. And we get the same problems of crime. You know, you take 100 people in this environment, and they're as wicked as 100 people in that environment. Wickedness is everywhere. One city's not more dark than another. You, you stack up a couple million people in one place, and you're right. You're going to see some pretty wretched things all around you. You know, you live in a, a town in Maine that has a grand total population of 1,600 people. In the same square footage of, you know, Philadelphia, we're spread out. You want to find out where all of that really wretched sin is going on? You're going to have to go find the trailers in the woods. Because that's where those people are living. That's where those things are going on. This idea that one location is more sinister than another, as long as there's people present, you're going to find wickedness. It isn't a particular structure. It isn't a particular place in it. I've literally heard Christians promote this idea of a haunted house, so to speak, a haunted structure, a demonic presence in a location using the scripture. The passage that they often will use is Luke chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, where Jesus sends out 72 of his followers to minister the gospel. I'll read it to you. It says, Luke 10, beginning at verse 5, But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. So you go in and you speak peace to the building. And if it's not of peacefulness, it will come back to you. It's like you'll hear the echo or something. It's a really foolish approach. A paraphrase, a correct paraphrase of Luke chapter 10, <coughs> verses 5 and 6. When you enter a home, greet the family by saying peace to them. If they receive your greeting, <coughs> it's a good place to stay. But if they reject your greeting, take it back. And leave. That's literally what's meant. You're talking about the people <coughs> inside that home. John chapter 1, verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. That's in the English Standard Version. Now, if you're aware of this, you got to think about this spiritually. I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. Darkness cannot overcome light, it's not possible. If you've got an eternal birthday cake candle, little tiny thing, it's never going to go out. If you light that, you can guide yourself anywhere through the deepest darkness. It's not a huge million watt, you know, light that you purchased at 
Home Depot that you can shine across the field, see from here to eternity with, but no matter how dark the night, it's not like the more dark a night is, the less your candle's going to be capable of. Darkness doesn't extinguish light. Yeah, I mean, you can put the candle out, and now there's no flame, but it's not as though the more powerful darkness, the more threat there is to your light. Whatever degree of light you have from Christ in your life, you're capable of overcoming darkness. So I'm going to examine a few things in regard to this. I know we've already covered a lot of things, but pay attention to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, where hopefully you're familiar with Jesus saying, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in that house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are called with our faith to present that to the world. The thing that makes a location dark is us keeping our mouths shut. Not radiating the light, not sharing our faith will certainly allow darkness, spiritual darkness, to have its way. If we'll stand up and declare the truth, we change everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds, casting down imaginations. Pause right there. That's the thing more than anything I've heard Christians promote. I, I, I've shared with you before, <clears throat> indirectly dealing with a board of directors for a church in the greater area, this, this region, uh, in their board meeting, they began having a discussion about bad things that had begun to happen in the church. Problem with the soundboard, problem with this. These people ended up doing that. And in the board meeting, they decide that all of these bad things began to happen when they received all of these furniture items donated to the church. And then the discussion moves further to they decide that in particular, a microwave that was given to the church, some of them have even had the heebie-jeebies when they were in the kitchen using it. Definitely, when all of the items came to the church, and in particular, that microwave in the kitchen, this is, this is the board of directors for a church. They decide that it's the microwave that has brought the evil into their midst. That's why all of this is... They literally, collectively, in the meeting, go down to the church kitchen and perform their little seance over the thing and cast uh, exorcism and cast the demon out of the microwave and then take it out and throw it in the dumpster, to which I was saying, didn't you just exercise the demon? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just threw away a perfectly good microwave. If, you, if you've already kicked the demon out, you know... The point is imagination. Their imagination has run wild and created things that are non-biblical. They recorded this in their board meeting minutes. How embarrassing is that? This is the leadership of a church, you guys. You've got to understand how completely unbiblical is the weapons of our warfare are not of this earth, but they are mighty through God, to the tearing down of strongholds. What strongholds? The imagination. Taking into captivity every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How do you get the knowledge of God? The Word of God. You know the Word of God, you'll be able to walk in and say, no, this isn't an especially dark city. There's an especially huge number of people here. Now let's get our little Jesus candles out and go share Jesus with them. Now if some of us are a massive radiant light and the Lord does big things to us, great, do that. But you cannot 
extinguish light with darkness. You can hide that light under a basket. You can put it under the bed, as Jesus said. You can get so intimidated by the voice of the enemy and his servants that you begin to hide the light of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what our enemy wants us to do. And I do mean only hide. Because if this light has been lit by Jesus Christ in our hearts, we can't even extinguish it. We can do what Jeremiah did, get sick of the fact that people are rejecting us and say, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm going to keep this to myself. And Jeremiah recorded, the word of God began to burn inside my bones like a fire till I couldn't contain it anymore. Right? You put a wicker basket, oil lamp, put the oil lamp under the wicker basket. What do you suppose is going to happen after that? You're not going to have a laundry basket when you're done. Put the oil lamp underneath your bed. Watch what happens, right? You're going to call the fire department shortly. It's going to consume whatever you've tried to hide it in. Let the light of Christ shine out of your life. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You need to be more concerned about God than the devil. You can't deny what the Lord has done in your life. A few more verses, John, first John rather, chapter 4, verse 4, you should be aware of, King James Version. You are of God, little children. And have overcome them of the world, those that are antichrist, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? The, oh, the house is haunted. Oh, the house has leprosy. So what? It doesn't mean anything. You're going to let your imagination run wild? Why? Because your parents aren't home? Because your husband isn't home? Because you're all alone? You're going to let fear dominate your heart? Don't do that. Don't let your imagination take control. No one can harm you without God's permission or kill you before God's appointed time. I don't know if you're aware of that. Read the book of Job. The devil can't even touch Job without God's permission. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, again, King James Version, as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. It's not as though you're going to get all brave and be like, I'm going to go preach the gospel in that really scary place. And we're going to go down there and preach and they're going to kill you and God's going to be like, darn it, that was way too soon. I wasn't planning on that. If they're going to kill you in that moment, then God's going to greet you and say, you arrived exactly when you were supposed to. People will say that. Oh, he died too soon. No, he didn't. He died right on time. He might have died sooner than we expected him to. Everything is within the Lord's plan. You have to rely upon the word of God, not, not our opinions. Close this out, verse 54 of Leviticus chapter 14. This is the law for any leprous sore, scale, for the leprosy of a garment, of a house, for the swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. Jesus is the answer in all situations, you guys. Jesus. All of those symbols that I gave you, that's Jesus through and through, right? Earthen vessel, wooden stake, scarlet cloth. Running water, oil, all of that is Jesus. We have such an advantage. I, I hear Christians saying things. Follow me. Don't drift off because we're nearing the end. I hear Christians saying things like, oh, the Messianic Jews, they know so much about the scripture. Do they? Do they? In comparison to you, New Testament Christian? Think about that for a second. John the Baptist comes preaching, saying that right there, that guy, that is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus says, John was the greatest prophet that ever lived. And the least of you in the kingdom are greater than John. 
Open your mouth. Preach the word of God. Live by what's written in the word of God. Hear it again. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. Last verse. Ready? This isn't like my first of six closings. This is really the end. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. His divine power has given to us all things, right? As uh, Lewis Neely years ago, I heard say, all in the Greek is allaminicus, and it means all. That's totally a spoof. He's just being stupid. All is all. Jesus Christ's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, capital H, see that? who called us by glory and virtue. What do you need? Where is the leprosy in your life? What's your situation? Where does Christ need to be cleansing? What thought needs to be taken captive? What freedom do you need to experience? What is it that you need? Because I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus Christ. His divine power, the knowledge of it, that's what you need to cling to. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. 57 verses 8 pages of notes I'm exhausted Father I thank you very much for your great love your work I pray that this message would sink into every one of our hearts that we would hold on to it firmly that we would not allow the things that are defiled of this world to intimidate us Lord, that we would not allow even our own defiling to dominate us. That we would be like those lepers in the New Testament that called out to you and said, have mercy on us, heal us. We hear your voice in the New Testament saying to the lepers, are you willing? We're saying yes, we want this healing. We want your deliverance. Father, Accomplish what you want to, and we mean that wholeheartedly this morning. Accomplish what you want to. Not what we think you want. Lord, accomplish what you truly want to. Help us to just take our hands off from the controls. To let go of trying to steer this ship and to guide our lives. Help us to simply trust you to take the steps that are necessary to move forward in the way you're asking of us, Lord, but that would be in a full submission to your will. May your kingdom come and your will be done in us, through us, and by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.